talk to us this morning about the church. Amen? What do we know about the church? Well, there's some, some things I want to bring to our attention that sometimes we may not have thought of, or it might be something we know altogether, but something we need to get a greater grip on and be part of. So uh, if you would, turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter in your Bibles, and while you're turning, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for all you do for your people, and thank you for bringing us together as your people to have a purpose and understand what the Word of God has for us today. Be with us in a special way. We've got a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak, and we want to have your will performed today in a special way because people and lives are in the balance and souls, Father, we want to see come to the church, but we need to be the church that they can come to and feel like the Spirit of God runs the roost here. So guide us, we pray. Help us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a couple texts of Scripture. I'm going to just read, just read through it and, then, and compare them, and then I'm going to go back and start speaking on the subject here. But in first, I'm sorry, in Matthew, the, the uh, 16th chapter, starting in verse 13, when Jesus came in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? I'm sorry, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of God, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Over in Mark, we're going to come back to that, keep your thumb there, but in the Gospel of Mark, um, we're going to read uh, in, ver in chapter 8, starting in verse number 27 to 30, and let's look at the parallel as to what I just read. And Jesus went out with his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, same town he was in, in Matthew, right? So it must be the same place. And let's see what he asked them. And by the way, he asked his disciples and said, Whom do men say that I am? And they, they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias and others and one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. All right? Now, if you'll notice, there's a difference between, that's almost verbatim for what I read in Matthew, um, the 16th chapter, or six, yeah, 16. But now then, in the last verse here, he charged them that they should tell no man. All right, got it? Now, there's some things that he left out in the Mark's portion of the gospel that he put in in Matthew's portion. Go back to Matthew. We're going to talk about it. All right? In Matthew's gospel, he, or in Mark's gospel, he left out what Matthew put in in verses 17 to 19. So we're going to focus there. All right, And that's on 
the church portion of this. This message, uh, we're going to see that the church is the focus of all the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, his 33 years on earth. I know he did a lot. He was our sacrifice. He was our redeemer. He was everything we needed to make sure we were in tune with God and had our ticket, if you would, punched for heaven because you can't get there without Jesus Christ. That's the scripture. That's as real as it gets. So we find that Jesus here talks to them about the church. Amen? But in verses 17 to 19, he tells us in Matthew's gospel um, that the church he's going to build. It's going to be, I will build my church. You know what that means? What does that mean? That's a future tense. That means the church wasn't built yet when he was here, when he said that. And I can tell you, the disciples that sat around the circle there at Caesarea Philippi um, were stargazing and their eyes glossed over, wondering, what's he talking about, a church? Well, we're going to find out. This is the first time from Genesis to the book of Acts, this is the first time the word church appears in Scripture. Isn't that something? You would have thought as important to us 2,000 years after the church was built, we would have heard more about the church from Jesus himself. But very little was said. Amen. I'll leave that up to God to explain that to me when I get to heaven, why he didn't tell us more about it while he was here. But he left that up to his apostles and his disciples and his teachers. And in the book of Acts on, the church is central. Amen. You'll find the word church all throughout Acts, Romans, Corinthians, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Peter, James, John, all, uh, Re and Revelation, it's really full of the church. Amen? So, but for the most part, this is the first time we see that word. And I'm just wondering if the disciples, the first time they've heard it, whether it really had any real impact in them as to what he's talking about. Well, we need to find out about it. The word church, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Most of you probably have heard somebody use that term. It just means a calling out. The only way you can get into the church is to be called out. Of what? Out of the world. Out of sin. Out of yourself. And give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. It it's also means it's an assembly. Now the word assembly in the Old Testament was used quite often. If you want to get a strong concordance and take about 10 hours, go home and look those words up and follow them throughout the scriptures, you'll find they used and they did assemble a lot. Amen. Moses told the children of Israel constantly, come together for assembly. Amen. We had a good message on that Thursday night on the Passover. Amen. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later on. But for the uh, it's a time for the church to get together. It's a gathering of the saints. That's what ecclesia means. Amen. So when we study about what's going on, we let, we've studied and you'll find the church or the assembly of God's people goes all the way back to Genesis and all the way through through Revelation. And Brother Steve, like I said, preached a great message on it Thursday. 
on the Passover in Exodus, but God made it clear to the children of Israel what and why he was leading them. They had to do it as a group, as the children of Israel, together. Amen? When he preached on the Passover, it was boiling over inside of me because I already had this message on the burner stewing in the office. And it reminded me of all the names that we give and give to Jesus from the Old Testament and right on through. Of all the names, I think of the Passover. He was the lamb. He was slaughtered. He was sacrificed. Amen. For the sins. He was our protector. All the things we can attach to that all came from Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then he got not only that in Exodus after he established the Passover, he went on to tell them how to build a temple. Amen? And every detail of that temple was covered in the book of Exodus. And every detail of every one of those things in the temple had a reflection or pointing forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. He was the laver, he was the altar, he was the cherubims, he's the whatever you want to say. He's the gate, he's the doors, he's whatever. He's the holy of holies and then some. Amen? So all those things are pointing towards Jesus and the church. Amen? So now that Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to an end, so to speak, at the time that he is in Caesarea Philippi. Do you know where that is? You know where that is on your maps? Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's two towns named Caesarea. You know why? Because there was a very powerful person in Rome named Caesar. You remember him? He had a part to play in where Jesus was going to be born and had no idea that he was going to do that. One of the reasons that there's two cities named after Caesar in what we would call Israel or Judea or Galilee or that area of the country that's far removed from where the Roman uh, man lived, Caesar lived. Why did they do it? They named a town after him to ease the punishment or the persecution that he was sending on God's people. Amen. So they could get from Rome, if they wanted to, they could go up and around Europe and around and come back down, read the Mediterranean Sea, down to the coastline to Caesarea. And that was just, most of you probably don't know that because it's not really that popular in Scripture, but it's right above Joppa. Ever heard of Joppa? Oh, yeah, that's where Paul's from. Oh, yeah, we know all about Joppa. He went through there on his mission trips all the time. But where Caesarea is, just about 20, 30 miles north of there, as the crow flies probably, and the way to get there the quick way is to get on a boat in Rome and float your way down across the Mediterranean Sea to Caesarea. They did it all the time. Amen. You know why? They didn't have to bother with the traffic lights and the stop signs and all the problems if they'd have took the roads through the mountains and all, they say they got around all that. It was a shortcut. Boats don't have to stop at traffic lights. Isn't that cool? They could get there really quick. Amen. But in that, then we have what he's calling here, the town that he's talking to these disciples about. It's called Caesarea Philippi. Now Herod named this particular Caesarea 
still after that Roman hierarchy individual with the iron fist, but so they would know the difference between Caesarea and Caesarea Philippi. It was the Philippi was added because that was Herod's son's name. How about that? So look what you learned about the church, and I just showed up here today. Now, and my three minutes is about up. But anyway, that's another city, and it's closer to the Sea of Galilee. It's inland from Caesarea, about 60 miles. Okay? So they can have two Caesarea cities just to appease the old knothead in Rome and have a way of distinguishing which one they're talking about. So here we have, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. He did it. He did say it in Jerusalem. Wonder why. Hmm. Well, Rob touched on that in Sunday school. Because there was a, a lame man they had to let down through, and guess who complained when they did it? The scribes. Had Jesus brought up the thought of a church to the scribes, they would have said the same thing about the church they said about Jesus forgiving that man his sins. Ah, blasphemy! He didn't have the right to do that. That's what the scribes said. And if Jesus would have said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the scribes would have been the first one. Because they knew the Bible from cover to cover. That's all they did is write it down. That's their job, to transcribe it from this sheepskin to this one, because the sheepskins get old, crack, and they didn't want to lose the word of God. So they constantly were rewriting it to keep it on fresh paper or whatever they write it on, right? And if he'd have said that to the scribes, they'd have said, there ain't no such thing. We ain't never heard of the church. Well, no, this is the first time I heard that. If I'm reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, this is the first time I'm going to see it. And they're going to say, oh, we can't have that stuff. That won't work. Well, never mind. But I want you to know, next to being born again, next to being justified, next to being saved, next to being sanctified, as Christians, the church should rank right up there at the top of importance in the things that God wants in a child of God's life. Yet, Jesus is just now introducing it and if you would, he's letting the cat out of the bag at this late part of his earthly ministry and allowing his disciples to know, I'm going to build a church. Hmm. Now, they thought, most of them did, and I think this is one of the things that hung up Judas Iscariot. They thought Jesus had only come to earth to be the Messiah and that the job of the Messiah was to run all the Romans out of the country and him to set up his own throne on the seat of David. They had part of it right. On the seat of David, and he's going to rule and call down 10,000 angels to just take over and destroy, and he's going to uh, Well, spiritually, a lot of that does come to pass, but it doesn't come to pass physically. Amen? It doesn't hold water. So we can't um, trust everything that we think or was taught about what Jesus is going to do until he tells us. That's what he's going to do. Amen? So there's much to be said in verses 17 to 19, and much of man's interpretation differs from that from which God has to say to us about it. First of all, he says, Blessed art thou, Simon. 
Flesh and blood has not taught you this. In other words, it's not common knowledge that you should know about the church. Hmm. Matter of fact, first time they've heard of it. As far as we know. Amen? Amen. Otherwise, religious leaders would have known all about it also. And they didn't have a clue either. Amen? The only one who knew about it was Jesus. But he said, the only way you know it is because it was revealed unto you by my Father, which is in heaven. Hmm. Well, that makes it a little bit different. Of course, you know, every time I see the word heaven, I always want to ask, which heaven? Well, he tells us. It's where his Father is in heaven. Well, where's that? That's where we're going to end up eventually with him in heaven. And he's the one who sent his Son to earth. Where was he when he sent him to earth? Yeah, same place. Same place he's revealing this church to his disciples to. Then in verse 18, he says, Thou art Peter, not Simon. Uh, seemingly, there's a lot of confusion on that because some, some people think that's where uh, Peter was appointed to a high uh, position in the church. Uh, and some even uh, teach that, that he was the first pope of the church or whatever. And I ain't, I'm not going there or whatever. But Jesus, I got to tell you, it's his church. He built it. He's the head of the church. He has the door of the church. He's the foundation of the church. All those things I just said about Jesus, I can prove to you in Scripture, but it would take me more than three minutes. So we need to move on. And he says, upon this rock. Now, what rock was he talking about? Some people want to say, well, the word Peter means rock and Simon means stone. Or what? Uh, that's okay. You guys want to argue that? That's fine. But Jesus is saying here, this rock is the foundation the church is going to be built on. What is the chief cornerstone in your Bible? It's Jesus Christ. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. Amen? They knew if there was a building to be built anywhere in that part of the country, it started with a rock foundation or a cornerstone or some kind of something solid that would hold the weight of that building when it was built. And they're looking at the church as a building. And we today consider this a church, a building. But I got to tell you something. When we all go home, the building's still here, but the church done left. It's kind of like Elvis. He done left the building. Amen? Well, so here's what we have. Amen? No one is a part of the church that Jesus has placed them in and that they just have to fill the role that he's given them. Amen? So anyone that's part of this church should have a role in the church. Okay? They should have something to say about what's going on. Amen? Now we see it as for the gates of hell. You know what I think about that? You can laugh at me and forget it if you want. But Jesus is just saying you can't be both. You can't be with the hell and you can't be with heaven. You can't be in the church. You can't be standing for the dead. You can't be both. Too many people try to straddle the fence. Amen? You just can't do it. One of these days it'll come up to bite you. Amen? You can't be part of the church once you've walked where the gates of hell is going to take you. Amen? Hell-bound souls are not going to prevail against the church that Jesus built. Amen. They just don't have that kind of power. Amen. 
You just can't have it both ways. Then in verse 19, we have another portion of this particular verse that Jesus tells us about in Matthew, but not in Mark. And he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. It's not keys. Do you notice that? It's not keys to the kingdom. It's keys of the kingdom. That makes a difference, don't it? Amen? I don't want you to think that the keys to the kingdom, but it's keys of the kingdom. Too many people, when they hear that, you know what they think? I got another, pull out my key ring, and I got another key to put on the key. No. The key kingdom, God's not locked up. The church is not locked to where you have to have some kind of special pass to get in it. You just have to come through the door. Jesus Christ. He lets you in. Amen? He puts your name on the roll book, if you would. So all these things he's saying, and uh, too many of them think the keys is something to unlock something. In biblical times, if something needed to be unlocked, what would be the term they would use in the Bible for that thing that's what you might say locked up? Well, I know a good preacher that's just preached two messages on how to unseal the Word of God. Huh. If he thought the church was something you had to do to get in or whatever, something had to happen to open it up, he would have said it was sealed. That's the term we've preached the last two services over. Amen? Have you ever heard anything about the seals? Oh, I, I'm glad you said amen because you weren't here. <laughs> amen. All right, but it's not like it's got a padlock on it. You have to know the combination. It's not like a special key, a master key he's going to give us when we get saved. The church is open to whosoever will, but you've got to come through Jesus. Amen. Amen? It's not some kind of key that you can carry around and you can go find somebody that needs to get saved. Say, come with me, i got the key, I'll let you in. Amen. Now, when we have people come to the church to work inside the building, which they're going to have uh, the blinds put up, I had to come because I had a key. I could let them in the building, but I can't let them in the church. Only Christ can let them in the church. Amen. So I'm glad that we can get that all kind of thinking um, removed. And, and the natural key thing is the thing that we would think about when we do it. Of course, we're earthbound, if you would, so to speak, thinking sometimes, and we think literally. Well, the key to the kingdom is the door to the kingdom. Huh. I know who that is. You're right. It's Jesus Christ. In spiritual language, if the church had a lock on it that needed a key to open it, would it be called a lock or would it be called a seal? Hmm. Yeah, I think I heard some messages on that. Notice that after the word the kingdom of heaven there, when we read it, there's a colon. You know what that means? Got to add to that. So what are we going to add to that? First of all, it's the kingdom of heaven. Again, which heaven? When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not talking about the heaven where God's sitting on the throne, if you want to say that. We're talking about the church. Amen? That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And secondly, whatsoever, he says, were you going to bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Again, which heaven? Amen. 
You can't change what God's doing in heaven where he lives eternally. That's his home. Amen. You're not going to go, let me call God, tell him what he's got wrong about where he's living. Amen. He needs new carpet. We've got to call him up and tell him to get that stuff replaced. No, 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 no. That doesn't work that way. We're talking about the church. So when we think about the things that God is doing in heaven, that doesn't even apply to us as far as physical things that we need to change. Amen? And then whatsoever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, the kingdom is the church. We need to know that he's talking about what we do here. Now, don't ever think that what we see taking place on earth is the guidelines for what God is going to do in heaven. No matter how smart we get, no matter how much we change down here on earth, that doesn't change God's mind one iota. Doesn't have a thing to do with that. Amen. It's not going to work that way. The church guidelines are set, always have been set, will always be set by the two witnesses, his word and his spirit. Amen? So if there's anything that needs to be bound or loosened, they're going to be done by either the word of God or the spirit of God. Amen? I've got to tell you, when I got saved, I thought I was pretty smart. Until I opened the word and started reading. I didn't realize how dumb I was. Amen? I had no clue as to what God wanted out of his church or in the kingdom to take place. Amen? So if there are any keys to control what's supposed to be taking place in the church, it's not a key that God can give you. It's a key that the Holy Spirit and the word of God will apply to your life. In other words, don't think of it as keys like I carry in my pocket so my car will run or get the door open. Not that kind of key. It's key that you do this to be in the kingdom of God. Amen? It's not a physical key, but it's key. What is that? You come through Jesus Christ. Listen to the word of God and the spirit of God. Of course, if you get down into verse 20, then Jesus charged his disciples... Mm. You what's that mean? He charged his disciples. He said it very boldly and very emphatically. You guys better understand what I'm saying to you right now. Don't tell anybody about this. Amen? This is our little secret. Amen? After Jesus went to heaven and the day of Pentecost fell, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, how long did it take for the church to make itself known to everybody in the territory around them. Not very long. Matter of fact, that morning 3,000 got saved. Wow! That's a pretty good key to the kingdom, isn't it? Amen! I don't want them to know, if you would, right now, from our lips, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's telling them. Let God reveal it to them. Amen? If God reveals to you that Jesus is your Savior, then you have the responsibility to line up with what Jesus is teaching us. Amen? He's the prophesied one. Now, 
I think the disciples got that message and understand the importance of keeping that truth to themselves. Because had they gone back, like we talked about earlier, the scribes would have stuck their ugly heads up, said, we need to kill this guy. You know what? They had trouble killing him when they did. They couldn't do it. They had to take him to Pilate because he was a Roman and he had jurisdiction or the authority to put someone to death. They couldn't put another Jew to death under the law during the Passover week. <laughs> when they wanted to kill him, they couldn't do it. Against the law, can't do it. Don't have that key. Can't do that. Huh? Had he, had the disciples said, he's the Messiah and he's going to build a church whether you like it or not, they'd have called that blasphemy and would have shot him on the spot. Or whatever they did in those days. They probably didn't have AK-47s, but they had something that would have killed him and they probably, he would have not saw the light of day for the next day. Amen? Does that make sense? If I'm, are you, am I losing anybody? Amen. So to think that they wanted to keep that truth, number one, if that truth got out, Jesus would have been early. Amen? And number two, there's not another word spoken by any of those that heard him say, don't tell nobody about this, in the New Testament till after the book of Acts starts. Now Jesus uses it again because I want to be fair about the church and I'll go there and, and help you with that. But nowhere in the scriptures is the word church mentioned by the disciples till after Jesus ascends back to heaven and is set on the right hand of his father in heaven on that throne that he has uh, placed as his place of priority now. So if you will, Turn over a page in the Bible, in Matthew 18. Mike will get you up there. And here in Matthew 18, I want to read just kind of quick down through here, verses 15 to 20. Amen? This is in red letters again. Every one of these from 15 to 20 in my Bible's red letters, so we know who's speaking. Here we go. Now we're looking for the word church. Moreover, if a brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. Good counsel. Love it. Amen. Outstanding. But, verse 16 says, if he will not hear then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. That's good counsel too, isn't it? Amen. I can tell you about 90% of the arguments that we have in the church or more will probably be settled in verse 15 if we just did it God's way. Okay? And if of the last 10%, probably another 9% out of the last 10% will be settled if we did it in verse number 16's way. But if that don't work, we have verse 17. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. Hmm. But if, again, he neglect to hear the church, 
Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, now I'm going to read here this verse and think in your mind back to a page before in chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall be loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Didn't I already teach you that? Didn't we already talk about that? We already got that one covered, don't we? All right, so he got that. And verse 8 and 19, again I say unto you, that if two or three, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, and it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. Which heaven's that? That's where God's at, in that heaven. It says so right there. It makes it clear. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, there I am in the midst of them. That scripture I have heard quoted and misquoted and misled and misstomped on and took out of context and everything else for 47 years. Amen? So let's get into it and find out what's going on here. Again, verse 15, moreover, if it's conditional. It means you've got to make a choice. When you come up with this condition, somebody does you wrong, a brother... Uh, he says, if a brother shall, of course, that again, Jesus is talking future tense. Amen? Why? The church ain't here yet. But when the church gets here, if a brother shall, settle it. Go to him. Amen? And get it that, uh, just between the two of you. When dealing with a disagreement, it's best to keep as few a people involved in the loop as possible if you want to see it come to a quick settlement. The more people you get in the argument, the longer it's going to be and the harder it's going to be to settle that argument. Amen? And it's better if you just settle it that way because the more you get in it, the more logs you're going to put on the fire and the hotter it's going to burn. The goal here is to gain a brother. That's what it's all about. It's about being right with a brother. Sadly, way too many of these situations are entered into so that uh, someone can prove I'm right and you're wrong. With that attitude, nothing's going to get solved. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be more likely to escalate to both sides, digging in deeper just to prove their point. Amen? Well, Hopefully, if we get that all straightened out, at that point, we won't have to dig any farther. Amen. Amen. I found out a long time ago, if you find yourself in a hole, first thing you need to do is quit digging. Amen. Amen. The second thing you need to do is then go to verse 16. Amen. Take a couple with you. Now, Make sure you're not taking someone that totally agrees with you and totally disagrees with them. That ain't going to solve nothing. Take an independent. Amen. You know who you should take? The Bible calls him a mediator. Who's our mediator? Yeah, we have one. His name's Jesus Christ. If you follow what Jesus teaches you here, and listen to the Spirit in your heart and your mind, probably all these issues will be bygones quick enough. 
Amen? So don't try to prove your point. Otherwise, you're going to make the issue bigger than it was to start with. Calmly, accurately, address the issue and not the person. Did you get that? Just because they disagree with you don't mean they're dummies. So don't call them that. Or idiot. I know some idiots, but that's another subject. Amen? Hopefully, calmer, cooler heads can prevail, and we can get this diffused before the bomb goes off. Amen? But if not, verse 17 says, tell it to the church. Hmm. You know, as a pastor here 17 years, very few times have I had to stand up and say, now we got a problem with somebody and here's the problem. What do you think? How should we handle it? No? So far, about 99% of the problems that I've come up against as pastor have got settled in step one or step two. And we didn't have to go to step three. Now, there's been a few step threes, and, and uh, I took it to the church, but it was probably just before the trustees at that point. And some of them got straightened out, and some of them decided uh, they had a better idea. Maybe they'd be better off to go somewhere else, and they may have done that. But be careful. Depending on the damage that was done in steps one and two, this step has the possibility of causing a complete division within the church. Amen? Because now the church knows about it. Amen? So we all know that division's of the devil. But sometimes it just might be the right thing to do in order to maintain the dignity of the church. Amen? Sometimes there are people that got things in their head, they can't get them out, they won't change them, even though you show them Bible, even though you witness to them, if you love them from one end to the other, they're still going to sow discord amongst the brethren. Some of those people we need to mark, if you would. The scripture says to mark them, and to treat them, he says, as a heathen or a publican. How many of you love tax collectors? Now, the IRS is your best friend, ain't it? Amen. Uh, well, it's not the IRS that you're, uh, or it's not the person that works for the IRS you don't like. It's the IRS. Let me just tell you that much. Amen. But so Jesus is saying here, don't just throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. What are we taught by the word of God? We've got to love the sinner, but hate the sin, no matter what it is. Amen. Now, that's what a fault is. A fault is a sin. So if there's a fault between you and them, it's sin. Amen? Don't try to sugarcoat it, but don't try to jam it down their throat that they're wrong either. But the dignity of the church needs to be upheld, and things need to get straightened, straightened out. Amen? So if you're going to be a person that doesn't want to be part of the church and just wants to cause havoc, you know, we may just have to have some heathenistic, and publicanistic conversations with you. In other words, we can't have you teaching. We can't have you preaching. We can't have you singing. 
We can't have you doing things that represent God in our worship time when your heart's not right with God. Amen? Now, it's hard for me as a pastor to set someone down from anything they want to do for the kingdom of God. I would rather go the extra mile to help them and give God's Holy Spirit and His Word a chance to teach them where they're wrong rather than me beat them over the head because that usually doesn't result in uh, the right things that's going on. But here we go. It's kind of like when Jesus caught the woman in adultery. What did he say to her? All right, go ahead and stone her. She's guilty. No. He put down and said, any of you that's got sin, throw the first stone. And nobody did. And what did he say? Go and sin no more. When this thing works, steps one, two, and three works the way it should, the bottom line will be we're going to go and sin no more. Amen? We're going to get it right and move on. Amen. Now, Look at verse 18. Here again, it's the same as in Matthew 16, 19. It's about the, the bound and the loose. I'm not even going to go there. But you're going to have to understand that God's uh, in charge of the church and all the teachings in the church, if you want, again, rely on the teachings that we have or the verification that comes from the two witnesses, God's word and God's spirit. Amen? And they are the ones, uh, not man, they're the ones that, if you would, teach us what God wants us to be in his church. It's not called common sense. It's not the earthly thinking. It's godly thinking. And it has to come from the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen. Let's make sure we get this process right in the eyes of God. Because if we mess it up, the next verse says, it's going to affect your prayer life. Wow. You know the only connection you have directly to God is your prayer life. Amen. So if you've got problems with Steve, somebody's door there. Okay. Never mind. They went around, I guess. Uh, if you have that problem in your life and don't get it straightened out, amen. Again, I say unto you, if you agree on the earth, touching anything. Hmm. You can ask God and consider it done. If you're right in your heart with what God wants you to be and you're right with all your brothers and sisters around you, ask what you want. And it'll be taken care of, he says. Amen. It's going to be done by the Father that's in heaven. Amen. Not no earthly father, not no earthly pastor, not no earthly nobody. It's got to be done by God. Amen? So he says then, if the two or three agree on earth, first of all, we're going to have a unity in the church. It's going to unify the church and draw us closer together. Amen? That's what this is all about, bringing us together. That's what God wants us to have. Amen? And second of all, It'll win sinners to the truth. Amen. Now, what are sinners? They're people that don't have the truth or don't live the truth or don't want to follow the truth. That's what a sinner is. They do it their way instead of God's way. Amen. That means the church is going to grow spiritually from the unity of all the brothers and sisters coming together 
and it's going to grow physically because we're going to be winning souls because everybody wants to walk in truth. How many of you appreciate somebody lying to you? Huh. I used to work for a boss. I've had a couple people in my life. If they said it was raining outside, I'd go look before I grabbed my umbrella. I knew they was lying. I mean, the only way I knew they was lying is kind of like a politician because their lips were moving. Amen. But there's a time when we need to be what God wants us to be. Amen. And so in verse 20, it says, for, that means because. That's what the word for means. Because where two or three are, Jesus says, I'll be in the midst with you. Amen? Guess what? Our church has got a little more than two or three the last time I looked. And Jesus will be in the midst of us if we'll follow the steps to be the church he's called us to be, the one that he built, and we're going to have to walk according to the keys that he leaves for us to follow from his word and his spirit. Amen? The two witnesses are going to lead that church to a personal experience and to the will of God to grow the church and ultimately unity with God is what he desires for his church. Amen? This brings us to an important question. Why do we come to church? I guess there's 30 here or better. Probably if I'd asked that individually, I'd get 30 different answers. Amen. I don't know why we come to church. I know what the scripture says we should do. I know what I feel in my heart I should do. Some people may, it just may be a tradition for them. Sunday morning, guess got to go to church. Huh. Well, that's cool. Uh, could be a place where you get to prove your point. I go in there and I get all of them people to listen to me. I can tell them anything I want and they'll buy it. Well, that might be your motive for coming to church. I don't know. Amen. There are a number of reasons. But the best reason is to be all God wants you to be for him. The church that Jesus built is a place that can make room for everyone to come in a safe environment to worship God, the God that sacrificed for them, that redeemed them, that has established a relationship with them, and to do what God has called them to do in the kingdom of God in perfect unity and in all hope with all the brothers and sisters of like spirit and live in harmony just like we're going to do when we get to heaven isn't that something the church is a little bit of heaven to prepare you to go to heaven how about that stuff amen you say, well, I don't like brother so-and-so. Well, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? And God says, you got the room with him. We've only got two rooms left, and you're going to have to split one of them. Hey, I, I trust God's going to... God knows how to work those things out. Amen. Well, in conclusion, I just want to know, how do you spell church? 
we all have to make sure we put in the missing pieces to make church work for the glory of God in our lives. Amen. This morning, we've seen the only three times in the Bible where the word church appears from Genesis to the book of Acts, and Jesus spoke all three of them. And now we've talked about it to know what they mean. But from Acts to Revelation, if you want to know about the church, you better get your sharp pencil and get ready to write a lot because it's all over the place from Acts to the end of Revelation, what the church should be. Amen? It, actually, the book of Revelation is almost exclusively a revelation of Jesus Christ, his church, and what comes against it. Hmm, isn't that something? And people out there today are just preaching way over the edge on what they read about in the Revelation because they read it literally. Amen? And yet every bit of the book of Revelation can be understood. Yes, salvation's not hard. It's really not. God didn't try to make it so difficult that you had to have a PhD in philosophy and psychology and everything else, ology, to get saved. It's so simple. Amen. It's so easy. He wants it to be easy. He wants us to understand it. And if we'll do it his way, we're going to find out that it's the best thing for us in our lives. Be very sure your focus is on the church, not on the world, not on the devil, not on yourself, and the church will lead you to the perfect victory you desire in eternity. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.